Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stargazing, a big deep podcast. I am joined on this episode by our friend Mark. Mark, how's it going today? It's going great. Uh, just uh, watched the first period of the Texas Stars game. Looks uh, looks like they're surviving without Matty Blumel. So uh, things are good. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Dallas, I think, made their kind of first official transaction of the season, so to speak. They sent down Jakob Peterson after his NHL debut this season and... After that one game, I guess they had had enough and they want him to get some big minutes down in Texas. And he is also one of the only players that they can actually send down without having to go through waivers. It's super great. We love the salary cap. Um, And so (laughs) in return, they call that Blue Mill. So tell us a little little bit bit about how Blue Mill's been doing. Blue Mill's been scoring a lot of goals. um, And when he hasn't been scoring a lot of goals, he's been getting assists. So... uh, uh, his last official game with the Texas Stars was a matinee in Chicago on Tuesday, and uh, he got a, the primary assist on the uh, only goal that Texas scored, which was a uh, ringing shot off the bar that McKenzie was able to muck in. So uh, he pretty much gets the puck. He shoots the puck. He's pretty accurate with it. Uh, he can do it in close quarters, and there's a lot there that the Dallas Stars can use. And do so you, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Do you think this was a situation of the organization wanting to reward Blumel's start to the year and kind of only sending down the only guy they really could? Or do you think this was also a byproduct of what they saw in Peterson's first game? Because, I mean, he didn't like have the best training camp, I would say. I mean, he wasn't definitely not the strongest guy out there. And then. You know, he was the healthy scratch for the first few games of the season. Uh, so do you think this is just a situation where maybe they would just want to get him some minutes and this is just an opportunity to do that? Well, I, I think one, um, you know, you're changing systems. And and we know that Peterson was really pretty successful under the bonus system. He had an ability to snuff out where the puck was going. And that, that hasn't necessarily translated into what what's being asked of him to do with uh, Pete DeBoer. So I think he's just taken a little while longer to adjust. And you throw that in with the fact that if he plays one more NHL game, he, he has to clear waivers. So this is the ideal time to do it. He can work with, with the people down in Texas, get his game back, and then show that he's ready to come back up and, and play again. Um, and then on the other hand, I mean, Blue Mel's just lit it up. Uh, you know, he has been the dominant player for the Texas Stars, and Texas is off to a pretty good start. And so, yeah, he he, he deserves to be rewarded, and I'll, I think he'll slot right in and, and hopefully still uh, bring that scoring touch to the NHL. Yeah, and I think after the last couple of games of maybe not scoring as much as they did the first few, few games of the season, maybe they're looking to – to change things up a little bit, maybe work on a little bit of chemistry in those bottom two lines. You know, and I and I think it can't hurt. Now, the thing that is going to get tricky about all of this whole situation is that according to one Matthew DeFranks over at the Dallas Morning News, this is the last time that Peterson can be sent 
to Texas without having to pass waivers. The next time he plays one game in the NHL level, he's hit that threshold where he will then require waivers. So I do think that they're going to be very conscious of when they bring him back, when they recall him, because I think it's going to have to be one of those situations of, okay, he's got it. He's got a firm grasp. He's got the confidence and he's back and on the team for good after. Because I, I just think they don't want to, you don't want to decimate your NHL quality depth either because the injuries are inevitably going to happen. Right. And uh, exactly right. And, and there's a whole mix of players down with Texas who have some abilities that will allow them to play NHL games. And it's somewhat to Peterson's disadvantage to not be waiver exempt. And, and so he's going to have to find his slot down there and be productive before he's going to get a call up because his call up isn't the same as, uh, as somebody like Riley Damiani, where he can come up for a couple of games and just go right back down without any risk to the organization. Yeah. And I think when you look at the forward group, I mean, I think the only other guy on the roster that might you could maybe send down uh who might not be subject to waivers is Ty Delandria and oh gosh I don't think that he's played himself out of an NHL lineup by any stretch I mean he he's had some unbelievable setups of of goals especially with Wyatt Johnston here recently well and and it's Delandria is kind of the 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 story that nobody's talking about because if you take a look at you know, the, that Sagan Marchment line was on fire to start the year, and they were on fire with Delandria. And then when they moved Delandria out that line, all of a sudden that line started underperforming. And now all of a sudden you're seeing that chemistry with, uh, with, with Wyatt Johnston. And so how much of this is, is happening because of Delandria? And I think this is one of the reasons why Blumel is is an interesting choice and I would love to see them put uh put Delandria back with Sagan and Marchment and then have that right wing slot be available on the third line playing with Ben and Johnston be one that's kind of up uh, it's a competition between Gurianov and and Blumel they both kind of offer the same sniper shooter scorer type role and so let them go head to head and get some action from both of them and see who who mixes in the best you know, it's interesting you say that because I feel like with Blue Mel's goal scoring and the fact that he's been getting it in, in big minutes down in Texas, in my mind, he's coming up here to slot in on the Sagan Marchment line because why mess with a good thing if you've got Delandria and Johnson going and, you know, the top line is going to, you know, Pavelski and Sons are going to do what they do all the time because they are Pavelski and Sons. And so I just think... It, if it were me, I would probably want to at least start a game with him in that top six role to see if it translates. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it going both ways. I, the thing I would say is that Delandry has been good with both, and he's kind of the incumbent. And so if you're going to put anybody on the second line, put the guy who's been doing it at the NHL level uh, up with the few extra minutes that he's going to be getting. And Blumel, Blumel's going to be able to get his shot off with pretty much anything, with anybody. And I think that Ben and Johnston both are, they they tend to be set-up guys at this point. And having a sniper with them, I think, is maybe the right match. I don't know. 
because we can I, beg to we can agree to disagree. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I I don't I mean I don't know I, it, I because I would also argue that if you're gonna put Blue Mel into a position to show what he can do with his offensive side. Uh, putting him on a line with Sagan and Marchment, who are NHL veterans and have that defensive awareness and ability to get back, should Blue Mill kind of flood the puck a little bit or something, you know, because of nerves or whatever, I think that kind of goes a long way. And I'm not saying that Jamie and Ben can't do that. I'm just saying that I probably wouldn't start him there. Yeah. And and that's a valid point because you do you do kind of set yourself up without a a real known defensive quality quantity net, on your you third know? line there yeah exactly and it's like you know we're we're Texas we're used to having the third line being uh, being just a bunch of that, that, that's the FCC line spot so that should be the shutdown line right and and now we'd go the polar opposite and have it be who is our defender on that line yeah and I'm not saying that you know I. I'm, this is not me asking for a return of FCC, like, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that you will, you know, and Pete DeBoer asked his forwards to play on both ends of the ice responsibly. And I just think that you maybe aren't setting yourself up for the best success. But, it, you know, this is like, but who knows until you actually see him with the team where Blue Mill, you know, like, might actually fit, uh, the move was made this afternoon, so I don't know if if he had a chance to get into any kind of practice or whatever. So I think the first time they're going to be able to figure the, any of this out is that morning skate tomorrow. So um, Right, I would expect so because, yeah, I mean, Texas was in Chicago and, and Dallas just uh, Dallas just got back from Boston. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Blue Mill was on the bus from from Chicago to Milwaukee yesterday afternoon. So right. yeah, they, uh, they haven't seen it. And and the the only other thing, you know, Blue Mill's been playing with Riley Barber and uh, and Tanner Caro down in down with Texas, and those two kind of do fit the Sagan Marchment role. So I'm I'm gonna maybe agree with you a little bit here. What he's been set up to be doing down in Texas does fit that second line. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting, but you know the thing that makes it the most interesting of all is Denny Gurionov and all of this, because he is a guy that when you notice him, you're like, "Wow, flash! Wow, he's fast! Wow, he just made this phenomenal cut to the front of the net that died." Um, <laughs> but like he had flashes, and and Pete Moore actually said this when he when he's healthy scratch Guriana for game um, on the road trip was, you know, it's about consistency. It's about being that way consistently. They, you know, they saw him working hard and doing all the things they want him to do down on the third or fourth line. And so they moved him up to be next to Sagan and Marchment for that second line. And then he like disappeared that game. And, and then, so then he missed scratch. And I think that makes sense. Like you have to send that message and I think it's kind of fascinating that we just had a whole discussion about who's going to go into that second line wing spot. We didn't even mention Gariana once. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I, I will say I think that we're probably going to see Blumel and and Gurion off split time and make it kind of a, a competition within the game to see who does better. And it's you know, 
hopefully one or both of them do better and uh, that's fine. But yeah, they need competition and, and Gurianov has, yeah, hate to hate to pop down to plus minus, but he's, he's kind of sitting there at the bottom of the list there. And, uh, and he, he doesn't bring the defense. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's not so it, the, the sheet on the other side. So like, you kind of start to wonder like, what are you contributing to the game? And, and like, you know, you don't want to boil a guy down to just stats because I think that is unfair because I think there's a lot of things that happen in hockey games that you can do really well. And I think about Miro Haskinen of all people in this in that there are nights where Miro Haskinen has zeros across the board on on the score sheet. He, You know, like he, he didn't have a goal. He didn't have an assist. But, you know, what he did was he broke up that Connor McDavid rush to the net. And you say, gee, that was really good and helping to win a hockey game. And it's not really accounted for so much in, like, the counting stats that you kind of referenced. Um, so I don't want to boil Gurianov down to just plus minus or just the fact that he hasn't hit the score sheet. But I do think that the eyeball test to me says that he's maybe not doing enough in the game to drive success for like on the team level. Right. And and you always have to kind of boil it down to what, what are you contributing to the team um, that nobody else can, or that is a, is a net positive. And we've, we've all seen Gary enough over the years here to realize that there are some certain things that he brings, you know, he, he his speed, his shot, but there are other things that that uh, you have to compensate for. You have to make sure that uh, that you have coverage for him on the defensive end, and so it's a balancing act. And what all, all we've kind of come down to is saying we have we have eleven forwards really who, at least for the coaching staff, have roles that are defined, and and they've been pretty successful at performing within those roles. And we have a right wing slot where we haven't really found the right match yet. And that doesn't mean that Gurionov can't find his way there, but we're going to continue to push there to make the team better. And we have somebody down in Texas who has been performing in, in a pretty spectacular way who plays that position. And so he's going to get a shot to, to make his statement and say, you know, I deserve to be here. Very interesting. Um... On the other side of the coin, how concerned are you about Miro Haskinen's availability for the Thursday night game? Like he was day to day out all of a sudden, kind of last minute against Boston. Are you are you concerned that there's a a longer term issue here, or do you think it was really just he couldn't go that second half of a back to back? I mean, it's Miro, and so if he's missing a game, I'm automatically concerned just because you you saw you saw how the team suffered on the power play without Miro in the number one slot. Um, there's so much that happens on the defensive end that it just depends on him being around. And so it, 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 even if he's not 100%, I'm worried. So, yeah, that's that's about the worst person that that could could miss. You know, I, I was I was worried when uh, when I saw Rope Hintz take a shot to the head, and uh, you know another guy who uh, who who is absolutely vital to what goes on with this team. But you know, on the other hand, it's hockey. There are injuries. We're playing uh, we're we're playing a Washington team that has a couple of their big guys who are out on injury, and so it's something that you have to deal with. 
Um, it's why Joel Hanley's around. Hanley's going to give you 12 minutes of very boring hockey, and we know what he does, and that's uh, and he's very successful at it. And it just puts more pressure on somebody else uh, to step up on the defensive end. And this stretch that Dallas is in right now is actually kind of brutal when you think about it because they just played three games in four nights, and then they play again Thursday, they play again Saturday. So that's, what, five games in the stretch of a week? Like, that feels like a lot of time <laughs> to be on the ice. Yeah. So, you know, had Dallas made the call-up of Blue Mel and not sent Peterson down, I would have been uh, pretty much assuming that Rupe Hintz was going to miss a game. I Honestly, I'm a little shocked that he wasn't, he wasn't. Um, yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't a concussion protocol there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was looking for—the concussion protocol. Like, I'm surprised he wasn't pulled out um, to get tested after that hit that he took. Um, but I mean, he's kind of like Gumby. He he kind of seems to balance back. We like that, and we hope that continues. <laughs> but like, also maybe let's not get him hit all the time. That'd be great. <laughs> I mean, the the nice thing is what we're six games in after tomorrow night. We're seven games into the season. Things have started out uh, oh, fairly successfully. We all uh, Toronto's a tough tough road match. Boston's a tough road match. When you do three out of four and throw a, a young physical Ottawa team into the middle of that, you know. The, yeah, you know, we didn't get we didn't get points uh, as many points as we wanted, but we uh, we did okay. We especially looked fairly decent without Miro in Boston, and so on on to Washington. We'll see how that that works. First game home is always a little rough after a road trip, but uh, the the team is performing. I think if if you would have said at the beginning of the year, um, you know, you have a, have a Dallas Stars team that's up at the top of the Central Division after this stretch of games, you're pretty happy. You're telling me that a nine point a nine hundred percent point percentage is not sustainable. We can't we can't get nine <laughs> out of every ten points. What the hell are we doing? Well, if if we sent Dallas down to the ECHL, we could probably swing it. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a scary thought. All right, well, we're gonna take a little break here, and then when we come back, we have a special guest joining us. We'd like to welcome in our special guest for this episode, Sean Shapiro, hockey insider and vast purveyor of knowledge. Um, welcome, Sean. The season has started, and I feel like there have been some surprises along the way. And obviously, we wanted to hear what you think about the Dallas Stars and their start, but um, I'm also going to open it up to just kind of surprises around the league that you've seen. Uh, so maybe start with the stars and then let's kind of talk about the NHL in general. What's kind of caught your eye so far this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, kind of the most notable thing, and it's obviously a space that is uh, going to be quite the topic of discussion for uh, within stars land right now is the whole Wyatt Johnson case. And it's not the fact that to me, it's not the the concept that he's, playing and that he's probably going to be on this team past nine games that that's not the surprise to me it's more so how he's played how comfortable he's looked and kind of the residual effect where we're seeing Dennis Gurionov getting scratched under a new coach that's opening things up offensively for pretty much everyone else and and the fact Johnston has basically kind of taken that spot that on the second power play unit that that to me is kind of one of the biggest surprises when you when you when i look at the stars and it has nothing to do with 
Johnston being here. It's the fact of it's it's a positive surprise of how well he's played and how consistent he's looked because I thought there would be more of a learning curve for, for him, even though I th- always thought they would kind of keep him after nine games. But he he's he's been better than I expected off the bat, which is obviously a wonderful sign for Dallas. <laughs> Were you surprised though? Because given Jim Nill's history of letting guys kind of bake and he's all about, you know, letting them almost overcooked to a degree. Were you actually surprised that a teenager coming out of Canadian juniors made the squad and it looks like it's going to stick around to burn that first year? Um, no, because I think he's a little bit different than some of the other teenage. I, I think, cause I think the Jim Nil has, uh, and you're right. He's been notoriously patient with things before in the past, sometimes to a fault, sometimes to an advantage. And I think with, Johnston, it came down to if you were trying to build the best development path for him, at the end of the day, you obviously wanted him, you want him to go earn that power, that second power play unit opportunity, which I feel like he has. But I, I watched him play in Windsor a couple times actually last season, and there's nothing left for him to do in the CHL. Like he's out there and he is when he, when he was playing in Windsor and he was playing in the OHL, he was by far the best player on the ice. He was there. He was on a different level than everyone else out there. And he was doing that as an 18 year old. You send him back for his 19 year old season. I think he had like 124 points or whatever it was last year in the regular season for, for Windsor. And so what's he going to do as a 19 year old. And from my, when I look at kind of his long-term development and the best case for him, even if he struggled a bit, I feel like maybe the best case would have been for him to spend the entire season in the NHL, learn how to evolve his overall game to stick in the NHL. And if he did struggle, like, and it doesn't look like it's happening, but like you still had some other options where you could send him down for like some confidence boosts. You couldn't send him back to the OHL midseason, but there are some loopholes where you could have gotten creative to give him those confidence boosts. Like, honestly, I would have, before the season started, I would have expected him to kind of be with Dallas, to be in and out of the lineup, and then maybe go back to uh, to play World Junior, right? And then there's also a caveat where if he hadn't been playing, they could have put him on a conditioning loan to the AHL to get him some games there. And there's some loopholes to figure out and rebuild the kid's confidence if that had happened. But there was just no, I didn't see any reason for him to go back to the CHL because he would have put up 120, 130, 140 points this season and he would have done it easily. And it's just, that's not taking the next step. It wouldn't have been a bad thing, but if you, if you're looking realistically to build him forward, this was the next step, even if he was going to hit a rookie wall or struggle and everything like that. But I think he's a different case than other teenagers that Jim Neal has dealt with, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think it does. And yeah. I, one of the things that I've noticed going back is that so much of what, what he does are things that aren't dependent on him just having more skill than the guy he's playing against. And so if he's playing juniors, he's not dependent on just having that little extra speed or that little extra bulk or anything like that, where you can kind of get lazy and let that take a, take you so far. And then when you face bigger guys, faster guys, you have to work on that to turn it into a real skill set. And it's almost like Johnston's game and the little things that he does are already pre-prepared for the NHL level. And he also, there's the other advantage too, is the position he plays too. It's not, there was the whole debate in 
heading early in the 2019-20 season, I believe it was, there was the the big debate of, oh, what do we do with Thomas Harley? And I, I know there was actually some debate within the Stars offices from the Jim Montgomery was the coach at the time, and it was there was still some heavy discussion from the coaching staff about they what really wanted Thomas Harley and management was a little bit more on the let's tap the brakes on it. Johnston plays a position where if you needed to, you can coddle him for lack of a better word. You could play him 10, 11 minutes a night and get him some power play time. You can't really hide a defenseman. You can't, you can't do anything along those lines. So Johnston has, a, has some positional advantages that Nil is able to play around with in, in making this work. And you're completely, you're completely right, Mark, too, just on the way he thinks the game, the hockey IQ, like, it's 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 something that um, it's not the same as what we all saw with Miro Heiskanen when he came in. But like, what was what was one of the first things everyone when we all watched Miro Heiskanen come to the NHL? You're like, he thinks this game like someone who's played it for been in the NHL for five six years. I'm not saying Johnston's on that level, but it's the kind of same stratosphere and category of that. That's the strength he already has that you're not supposed to have as a 19 year old. You know, it's right, interesting. Amy? Interesting that you brought up Thomas Harley. I'm curious about you from the outside perspective and and having followed this team for years. Were you surprised that Harley didn't make the roster coming out of training camp this year? A little bit. Um, I I, I thought he was always, to me, he was always going to be either in the lineup or in Texas. He was never going to be in the Joel Hanley spot. Like I actually, I think Joel Hanley had the, safest it's funny like Joel Hanley probably had the safest roster spot going to training camp and Joel Hanley knew that Joel I mean Joel Hanley was signed to be a seventh defenseman to come into the lineup when a guy gets hurt and he was going to be the guy that was going to play in that spot and so I, I think um Harley was in the spot where he had to beat he had to outplay essentially outplay Nils Lundqvist to be on the NHL roster and after they made the trade for Nils Lundqvist, and we've obviously, if you've, you've seen what Nils Lundqvist has done, and obviously that trade has, has paid dividends already for Dallas, that is, so that to me, I, I thought maybe I thought there was going to be a fascinating battle between Harley and Lundqvist. I think it's a little bit more disappointing that Harley didn't didn't make that Show more difficult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It should have been a more difficult decision. Like Lund, like Lundqvist made it an easy decision, and Harley did not make it did not challenge him enough for that spot. I w- it will be interesting to see it with what happens right now with Heishkanen being day-to-day and everything like that. Like It gets to the point where the reason there, the reason you have Joel Hanley is to jump in to play the second game of a back-to-back when there's an injury right there and he can play 12 minutes. If Miro is going to be out again tomorrow night against Washington, why aren't you calling up Thomas Harley? That's, that's, that, 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 that will be the more interesting... Uh, shocker of a decision if Miro is, is is not playing tomorrow against the Capitals to me than the opening night one. Well, I think that might just come down to salary cap. I'm not sure if they have true, true. the space to bring to bring That's Harley true. up and not send somebody down. And That's they true. and they made the move of sending Jakob Peterson down and recalling Mat- I'm gonna butcher the name Blue Mel. Um, <laughs> I'm not even gonna attempt the first name you, Blue Mel. You, um, yeah, you had Peter. You had Peterson. You got you got Peterson right away. So you're already playing with house. You got you got Peterson's pronunciation right away. So you're playing with house money. So yeah, the thing we learned this training camp was that all of last year everybody mispronounced Jakob as Jacob. So like, good on us. But it's so funny to me because these these uh, young players who come in, they literally do not care if you mispronounce their name because they're just excited to be here. They're happy to be in the NHL. 
as long as they're call, you're calling their name in some semblance of a word, they're cool. But, and especially it feels like the Europeans, they, like, we learn after the fact, sometimes years and years later that, oh, yeah, all along, you've been doing it wrong. I'm like, please just tell us. Just tell us up front. It's, it's not even just young European players. Tyler Sagan's name is pronounced incorrectly in Canada still, it's, which is always funny to me. How is it pronounced in Canada? <laughs> uh, Sagan. Well, down here in Texas, they pronounce it Seguin because we have the city that's spelled yeah. the same way. So, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so outside of the stars, yeah. 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 Um, what other storylines, like, surprised you? Mm-hmm. I think for myself, like, I was pretty shocked at the start of um, Detroit season. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm actually, so I've seen Detroit closer than a lot of other teams being up here now. Um it's it's a fascinating team to see because the coach and the GM are tapping the brakes harder than anyone I've ever like seen publicly. Like they they hadn't lost in regulation. They hadn't lost in regulation until going into last night before they played New Jersey. And literally at the morning skate yesterday, uh, Derek Lalonde is talking about. He's like, well, it's like when you look at our numbers and our analytics, like we're a bottom third team in the NHL still like the, the in Detroit, they are throwing cold water on progress as much as possible because they are, they've only played one playoff team in that stretch too. So it's mm. uh it's a space where there's uh the, the one to me that is actually more surprising. And I'm curious to see how it continues is the Buffalo one. Cause the fact that the fact of the matter is Rasmus Dahlin is not going to score every single night like he had been to start the season. They're not going to keep getting that level of goaltending they've been getting. The Buffalo one to me is the one where it's like, um, do we give credence to this? Or like, if, especially you hit a sample size, you're like, okay, have, here's here's take some credit. But it, we start at this point. I don't know whether to give it credit or if it's a, just a hot start to the season at the same time. What team um, has struggled that surprised you the most? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, like, it's like I, I, I would think the fact that I, I never was expecting Vancouver to be like really good this year, but the fact that they haven't won a game yet this year is obviously. Um, I was just about yeah, to talk yeah, about them. Yeah. In your experience yeah. with all of the yeah. years you've covered an NHL team, have you ever heard of a team having a players-only meeting like three or four games into the season? Because it happens, it's happened in Vancouver already. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything that early. I mean, I, I remember, I remember seeing and thinking, I can, I can start thinking of things where you're like, oh, that was early in the season, but it was really a game 15, 16. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, I think even when the, in the first, uh, in the year when Dallas, uh, the 2019, 20 season, when remember Dallas had that, they had like that one, seven and one stretch. Like they had a players only meeting in Pittsburgh after like game, like 10, I think it was something, something like that. So yeah, it's the way things have gone off in Vancouver is I I didn't expect that at all. I'll be honest. I, the Islanders to me, and I know they're playing right now, so I don't know what the score of the game is there. Probably as as I'm saying this, they're probably winning just to make this even more like obsolete of a point. (laughs) But you don't the, even want to know. <laughs> yeah, the 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 island the, the Islanders though, like to me the the fact I didn't the Islanders being dead bottom of the East right now is surprising to me. I think a little bit too much in there's they're a little bit too enamored with the roster from three years ago that they keep running it back with. But that's still a roster that should be close to wild card position, and it shouldn't be just at the bottom of the league. Crazy, crazy start here to the NHL. So I know we've got. 
just a few more minutes of your time. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the last questions I wanted to really ask you was you've done a lot in the last couple of years of covering the business side of hockey. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything like from a business side that, that fans maybe don't know about or should be aware of that might impact the cap in the next year or two, or, you know, maybe allows them to see their games a little bit easier or that they should be aware of. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the the biggest right right now, the biggest, most blaring in your face thing is the, uh, is the digital ads you see on the broadcast, right? On the digital board ads, those are, it's, it, it's funny, it almost feels like those were kind of put in, like, this is not the case, but it almost feels like those were intentionally brought in the same year they brought in the jersey ads, because everyone has forgotten about the jersey ads, because the, the digital ads are so in your face and garish and everything like that. Um, those are, those items, the, the jersey ads, the digital ads, the, the new uh, material, not material, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, trying to think of, yes, the new assets. Uh, those are all going to be vital to this, the, the salary cap finally going up at a normal pace. It's going to be, it's going to be key to players getting actual salaries that are representative of their market value. And then the other big thing, and this is something where this is going to be a big thing in Texas as, 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 as it gets, as it gets weighted to as the stars and the Cowboys and the Mavericks and the Rangers, every, every pro sports team in Texas right now is, is just getting cut off at the knees right now compared to their competition in, in the, in the pro sports market because of the lack of the full blown legal sports gambling there. And that's going to be a big step too, as, as we get to that and that keeps growing. Like I know that there are, comp- there are sports gambling companies that are jockeying already to give their money to, pro sports teams in Texas to be partners with them and do things like that, that they just haven't been able to yet because it's not, uh, it's not legalized yet. And if we, you wanted to go into a much longer, deeper, weirder podcast, you could talk about why the Texas legislature only meets every other year. And that's a, that's a whole nother, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole different discussion. Uh, uh, essentially, Wild. Uh, <laughs> essentially old west uh you don't need to travel once a year because you need to travel every other year so you don't get killed um <laughs> that's what that's what it goes back to um <laughs> for some reason it's for some reason it's still uh it's it still happens today so that's that's a big thing from a stars and league perspective to keep an eye on once the the fan duels and the sports bets and all the other ones are able to actually jump into the texas market and invest their money you're going to see it all over the place obviously it's going to be like the kind of trickle down effect like you see for all of dfw sports market like the cowboys will get their first pick and then it'll be everyone and then then, then everybody else will jump on it and everything like that that's that's the big thing that's going to continue to go into this the big hrr hockey related revenue and it's going to be It'd be vital to, and, and it's also going to be, um, it's it's the cap, it's it's the cap that it's going to impact, and it's also going to impact the financial ability to spend in other places for Tom Gillardi, because obviously Tom Gillardi being in the entertainment and the hospitality business, obviously COVID nineteen was quite 
an impact on the hotel business, on, on his main businesses. And if he can all of a sudden get gambling companies investing in his sports team and everything like that, all of a sudden he starts having the ability to invest more back in. So it's it's something that is going to have a big impact on Dallas and the rest of the league. And it's you can have the debate on another day of whether it's right or wrong, but it's just I've just come to the point where you have to accept that it's a reality of where we're going. And you just have to hope that people are being responsible with it. And that's right. a, that, that's a, that's a difficult, that's a, that's another difficult conversation. You know, what's interesting too, though, is it's not just the, the ability to do the betting in, in the state, but also the fact that as teams are getting that legalized for themselves, they're actually putting in capital to build in sports books yeah. directly inside of the sports facilities that can be activated all year round and gives them, you know, additional food and beverage. It gives them additional, um, you know, business on non, non-game non or non-event days. So that's a physical, tangible change that you could also see in the future at the American Airlines Center, for example. Yeah, and it's and it's with with Dallas, too, it's interesting to see how that will go into. I mean, it's it won't be on a Stars game day, but... And I don't have the exact schematics in front of me, but the Stars and Mavericks share the American Airlines Center. But if you have the sports book open on a non-game day, part of it can go still go to hockey-related revenue as well. So it's uh, it's that's a great point where as these arenas evolve, it can help the bottom line for a hockey team, even when they're not playing. Tell about that. Um segmentation and differentiation of revenue sources i mean the stars today yeah. didn't they didn't i see the thing where the stars bought a volleyball facility or something like that they did like they're getting into like the into like a facility management almost mm-hmm. like arena they bought that one and from what i understand i think like that is going to be a big focus of the business side is expanding into maybe even like the creation of other teams or other leagues or other facilities even that they would manage you know it brings brings visibility of the stars name just throughout dfw having that associated with these sports and youth sports tourism is an absurdly expensive endeavor um these days with travel teams and people get their kids you know individualized coaches for skills as young as like 10 so i mean it's like a whole thing. Hey, uh, Sean, uh, your your beer league team told me that they were going to put a hit out on me if I didn't get you out of here on time. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't you? Uh, why do Why do you? You're, you're all over the place. Uh, so yeah. tell us, tell us what, tell us where we we can read your stuff to, now. Yeah, I've got. Uh, yeah, I do have the. We have the 11 p.m. The 11 p.m. beer league game tonight. The late the the late game tonight. So right now I've got. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I have, since the career change for me, not career change, but since the uh, publication change for me, I'll, I'll refer to it that way. I've got, uh, been doing some of my own work over at a Substack right now. I've, and that's going to continue to exist with, uh, and that's at uh, seanshapiro.substack.com, covering a little bit of everything in the hockey world, some focus on Stars stuff, some focus on a couple other things that interest me. Um, and then a couple other things that I actually, have coming up hopefully i'll be hopefully i'll be able to talk about them a little bit sooner sooner than later um 
I've had some actually some good conversations about potential projects and publications that uh, because of uh, things not being signed yet, I can't really talk about it on a podcast, but something that people can maybe uh, see on Twitter sometime within the next week or so. And aren't you yep, also hey. a bit nice to see something that you're going to be publishing your first article at D Magazine? Yes, I'm also doing, I am doing some uh, freelance work for, for D Magazine as well, doing a contributing to their stars coverage about right now the plan is about twice a month and uh i believe that's something that may go up a bit as the season goes on it just right now their their editorial plan is out of my control but i know i'm happy to get the twice a month space that they're giving me right now so maybe more in the future and we'll see yeah which, which is good they, they have robert and who else i know they they've stolen there? all of my david people. No, no, it's nice to see somebody who's not a defending Big D alumnus there. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we've enjoyed having you on, Sean. You're welcome back. Anytime you want to just shoot the shit about hockey, we'd love to have you. And uh, I guess good luck tonight. Um, Don't let in so many goals. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you all. And uh, I didn't expect us to be talking about Old uh, Westy reasons for people not to travel every other year. But I'm glad that uh, I got to have that conversation on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Until thanks, next John. time, my Thank you. Yeah. We just want to say thanks again to Sean Shapiro for joining us tonight. If you liked what we did, what we talked about, make sure that you like, rate, review, do all of the things on all of the places, wherever you find your podcast, and you know, keep supporting us. And uh, you know, we're gonna continue to talk stars all season long. So make sure to check back next week when we do this all over again.